We are one week out from the 2019 NFL Draft. This is episode 10 of the best podcast available. Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble in the Dog Bowl. And a lot is happening in preparation for a draft in which we don't have a pick on night one, but plenty still to go through and plenty to talk through in this building that's happening right down the hall in the war room with John Dorsey and his lieutenants and the rest of his crew in preparation for next week. Mr. Gribble, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. You guys you guys held it down pretty well. Listen I listened to the entire podcast on my flight back uh to Cleveland. So you guys did a good job. You, I, I was I was worried I might not have a job. No, you were missed. You were on assignment. We are glad to have you back. Coming up on the program today, uh, we will go through some of the mock drafts that are out from some of the heavy hitters when it comes to the National Football League. Also, our guest segment of the day as well. Right now, though, I want to take a few minutes just to go through the annual tradition that is giving out information in a 25-minute press conference where you don't really give out a lot of information and that is the general manager pre-draft presser, a tradition unlike any other, Mr. Gribble. Yeah, not a not an informative event. No. Yeah. <laughs> not anywhere. I mean, not not here. Correct. Not, not in New York. Not in Chicago. Not anywhere. It it, it is amazing. Uh, I I think if my math is correct, unofficially, fifty-seven questions fired at John Dorsey. That's a lot. I didn't realize it was that many. I had a running total going. And John Dorsey answered everything and never batted an eyelash. And yet he didn't really answer a whole lot. Here's how you know that things have changed in Cleveland is that the first, like, five questions at this pre-draft press conference were not about the draft at all. They were about Duke Johnson. And he gave his endorsement uh, to that the coaches believe he's a talented part of this team and, and has a role uh, in this coming season trying to kind of quell some – trade talks that have maybe swirled about the Browns and people thinking that if you're going to make a trade, it's going to happen during the draft. Uh, we'll see about that. But that's that's where it shows how things have changed a lot in one year. You've gone from having the first pick and the fourth pick in the draft to not even having a first-round pick and then your questions at a pre-draft press conference talking about a player who was drafted in 2015. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And one that, by the way, doesn't have to be in the building because it's not mandatory. Right. Yeah, so it's it's just that's where we're at and it's no knock on reporters I think that was the more pressing issue right now. Yeah. I mean it's just it's it's a little different and it, it, we have to just ask the question is it really a draft if the Browns aren't making a pick? So in my eyes the draft starts on Friday of next week. So one of the big takeaways from today and we're going to play a few clips here from John Dorsey's press conference. The first one, if there's a comfort level in being able to sit back, quote during the early selections of the 2019 NFL Draft? We've always felt that the process is the same. Regardless of what position you're in, we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to turn over every stone, as we say, and we're going to go through the processes of building that draft board the same year in and year out, and it'll never change. I think the biggest takeaway from that is for those of us in the media, those of us that are fans, you know, I think we can all come to the consensus that they're probably not going to do anything on Thursday night. But that doesn't mean their due diligence isn't being done and they're treating it like any other draft, like when they would have a top five pick. Right. you got to watch it and see if there's some trends developing. You have to see if there's some guys slipping that you may have highly ranked or maybe higher ranked than other teams out there. So you've got to pay attention. Maybe you see 
what the going rate is for certain picks. You see a trade get made and you see that uh, maybe a team overpaid or underpaid or, or things of that nature. You're going to watch and follow along because it's it's like anyone that does a, a fantasy draft. You're not just paying attention when it's your time to pick. You know, you're paying attention to what's you going better on. Be pay, paying yeah, attention you better be paying attention to everything. You got to be watching and marking down your sheets, you know, keeping keeping notes, keeping tabs on where the position groups are at and, and kind of sizing things up and preparing for when you do make that pick at 49. He went through the hypotheticals. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because someone asked, and it was a legit question, you know, do you, do you mock draft? Do you go through things? And he said, no, it's hypotheticals, and it's a three-day process. Yeah. There's a lot that can go on, especially when you're <laughs> waiting. You're, you're at the mercy of 48 picks ahead of you. Yeah. I, I thought it was very, very interesting um, that they just go through certain scenarios more so than actually running out a mock draft and, and seeing how things play out and how we react. If four picks away, this happens, or if three picks away, this happens, and it's not the case at all. I was I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, it it was easier. You didn't have to do as many hypotheticals last year when you have that first pick, but maybe you were going hypotheticals with two and three before you go with number four. And that we, I remember the big talk last year was, do the Browns trade out of four and move back? I'm sure that was something that they thought of because you could have accumulated a lot of assets, but ultimately the Browns decided to go with the player they loved at number four, even though some a lot of people at the time thought it was a reach. It turned out it wasn't, and they got a really good player that they liked and believed in. All right, so the next big soundbite from John Dorsey is the strongest areas of the 2019 NFL draft class. In this draft, I mean, everybody knows it's going to be the defensive line. Uh, that's what everybody's been talking about, and it's true. There is some depth here, but if you look at uh, the wide receiver position, I think there's depth uh, at all fronts on the, on the wide receiver position. I think there's depth at the running back position. I think there's depth at the uh, quarterback position as well. My biggest takeaways are, obviously he said defensive line gribs, yeah. but he says wide receiver. And now a lot of people have only one wide receiver going on day one. Running back and quarterback in a year that I would say it's not necessarily the year of the quarterback is in past years. I was kind of surprised at, at what he had to say about those Yeah, that, that that almost like perked my ears up. I was thinking, is this some misdirection or something like that? <laughs> that was uh, things like, especially when he – I had to like listen back to make sure he said quarterback instead of cornerback because yeah. I – that's what I thought he might have initially said, and that would have made some more sense. But, you know, maybe he's talking about the late rounds. There's some value that could be had there. But otherwise, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, those are three positions where if the Browns don't draft a single one of them, we wouldn't bat an eye at the end of the draft. Yeah. I, I just I, I went back, and it's one of those things where you you go back, and I'm cutting it up for Cleveland Browns Daily. And, you know, I've got my notes as to everything that he said. And I went back and I said, "Oh yeah, biggest need, you know. Hey, let's. That's a nice bite to, you know, to talk about draft." And I went back and I think I listened to it three or four times. Going, did he really just say wide receiver, running back, and he's got to be going, leading us in a different direction from the water? I mean, of the three, I think it wouldn't surprise me if the Browns draft a wide receiver or a running back or even a quarterback for that matter. You have I eight just, picks. I just don't know if you're going to see all three of those taken. And and of the eight picks, I mean, we'll see. I mean, a quarterback, maybe based on what he said today, I I leaned in the direction of maybe not drafting one. Uh, even after he mentioned the strength of it, it didn't sound like he was 
he brought up the fact that he wants a guy that can compete, and I don't know if there's going to be anyone that can compete in, in the the fifth, sixth, or seventh round when you already have Drew Stanton and Baker Mayfield in, in, in this building. I mean, I just don't I don't see that, and, I, and it's, it's all about how you define compete. Like, what does that even mean at quarterback? So I came away hearing his comments on quarterback today, despite saying the depth, that it would surprise me more to draft one than to not draft one. At linebacker, um, he said there are some guys worth drafting at certain spots. And in a, at a position that I think we all tend to agree is the one position that there is not a lot of depth. No. And you can't afford anybody to go down this year at that. That that would be the one position. And he's telling you, okay, we've got some guys available, but only at certain spots. That kind of makes me even more nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's, but you've got to play the hand you're dealt, and it doesn't sound like maybe when he indicates that, does that mean is there an area where you could trade up uh, with much like you did last year with Antonio Callaway where you felt like you needed to get him at that spot in the fourth round as opposed to waiting about, I think it would have been about 10 more spots. So it, maybe that's an area where you see the, the Browns move up. If they see a linebacker they really like, much like they did Jannard Avery last year. They didn't trade, I don't believe, for that pick last year, but he was someone they targeted really liked and, and got him where where maybe some – I remember mock drafts last year had Gennard Avery going in the third round, and they got him in the fifth round. So you got to see if they see some really real value with some of those linebacker picks, whether it be on day two or day three. This is the best podcast available, episode number 10, Gibbs and Gribbs, one week out from the 2019 NFL Draft. One position that it appears, unless he's throwing up a smoke screen at us, Kicker and punter probably aren't going to be on the list of guys that he necessarily drafts. So it was interesting. I went back and looked this up when he said that. And I now I go back and think, was he joking or not joking? Because there was a kicker that was drafted during his time at the Packers. Yes. It was Mason Crosby. It was really good. That's what I thought. When yeah. he said it didn't turn out well, I said, well, I thought that was Mason Crosby. Yeah, now I'm starting to think he was being facetious. Because that's one of those that, that work out. I've been on the crusade or campaign, and this can be this can prove me wrong otherwise, that drafting a kicker can get you into trouble. Because on one hand, I look back last year at a certain point, there was maybe the last six kickers who were drafted were no longer with their teams. So that, that tells me, one, might be a mistake to draft kickers. And then at the same time, we've been through it here before, when you do draft the kicker, that draft distinction whether you like to believe it or not ultimately becomes like a tiebreaker when you're trying to decide between that kicker and someone else it happened to greg joseph in miami he was the guy that wasn't drafted he got the boot it happened here the year before between zane gonzalez and cody parkey cody parkey probably had a better preseason cody parkey wasn't here anymore now cody parkey's gone on to do some things that have garnered some negative attention <laughs> But he's had a better last two years than Zane Gonzalez has had. Sure. So it's 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 a tricky situation you get into when you draft kickers and punters because it's almost like darn if you do, darn if you don't. And it, so it 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 really that's a tricky one. I would lean in the direction you're probably not going to draft one. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, one position that I think we worried about that maybe now we don't have to worry about as much in the early part of the draft would be at safety and it. And it's because of what John Dorsey had to say about his newest guys in Morgan Burnett and Eric Murray. I think both are very, you know, um, talented football players. I think with regards to Morgan, I think over the years he's shown his ability to play the game of football. I think he's a nice fit into what Steve Wilkes is looking at. 
Again, with Eric Murray, Eric Murray can play both safety positions. He actually may play a little bit of like nickel, you know, nickel corner in, as well. And he's a phenomenal special teams player too. So you take a look. Were you surprised that he said Murray could play both safety spots? Uh, no, because I, I think if you look at just the body type, I mean, he he could he looks like a more of a free because he can play some nickel free as well. He's just a versatile guy. I would. The signing of Burnett, I think, is more significant than the acquisition of Murray when it comes to the shoring up the depth. I think they really believe he can be that box safety for this team. Now, that doesn't preclude you from adding another body Correct. there, but it doesn't make it kind of this essential need that you have to come away with not only a safety but a guy in maybe day two of the draft. I think you can you can do some things and, and maybe just add depth on day three at that position if it doesn't work out that the best player available is not there at 49 or 80. And I think Eric Murray's more of that special teams player. Right. That Coach Prefer is is looking for. And uh, at, at the safety spot, you also potentially could have T.J. Carey playing over there. Yeah. I mean, and, and you, you could, have options. Yeah, and you could have a lot of situations where Demarius Randall's your only safety on the field. I mean, I think there's just a lot of versatility – uh, with what you're looking to do on defense. I think that maybe if Jabril Peppers was unavailable last year, it doesn't mean that Derek Kindred would have gone out there and played every single snap, played one of Jabril Peppers' snaps. I think you just you put Jabril Peppers on the field last year because he's one of your best 11. You don't just need to have this traditional box safety and kind of these modern NFL defenses. Two players that are coming out that, that one we kind of knew – that maybe the Browns have an interest in, in Jeffrey Simmons. Obviously, he's been here for an interview. And if he should last to pick 49, John Dorsey said you'd have to take a look at drafting him uh, if he continues to fall because he is a top 10 pick. The other guy that I, I was surprised he was so candid with was Draymond Jones from yeah. Ohio State. No, and it's interesting because it seems like, based on all the mocks that we look at, it would be realistic that he's available at 49. Simmons at 49, I'm less optimistic Agreed. that that would happen. I, I think he's going to get snatched up uh, before 49, if not in the first round. So for Draymond Jones, I mean, that that sounds like it, it would be a fit position-wise. You could add more depth at defensive tackle. He's a local kid. You're getting that extra. I mean, that shouldn't cloud your decision-making, but uh, that's something to factor in as well. And I, I he's someone that some people think could even be available at 80. I mean, there's it's kind of a mixed crowd on Draymond Jones, but that's – I'm now adding him to my – of the darts I'm throwing at players at 49, he's certainly now in the mix. Anything else that stood out to you? Uh, I mean, maybe we should have just asked him about more players because those were his best answers. Specific I was players, shocked that he Specific was so players got the best answers. Now, when you ask him about a player once they get to the NFL and they're on our team, you're not getting a single word out of him. Correct. But it seemed like he was pretty, pretty open and candid when you asked him, pinned him down on specific players. It's just that, you know, is, is, is it really worth – burning a question at a press conference about Taylor Rapp out of Washington or guys like that. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where the pre-draft press conference is truly a, a, a worthless exercise, but it's it's mandated by the league. Everyone does it, and we all come out of it thinking we learned something, but we really didn't. We look forward to hearing more from Mr. Dorsey and his lieutenants next week during the 2019 NFL Draft. All right, draft fans, it's now time for our interview of the week. Now, we had looked at bringing in one of the big experts one week out from the 2019 NFL Draft. Instead, we settled on a guy to talk what the process is like as a player and from a player perspective, and no one better to do so than last year's number one pick of the second round, Austin Corbett, 
the guard for your Cleveland Browns. A lot expected of the young player in 2019. In 2018, he was the number one pick, though, of the second round. And he sat down with my good friend Andrew Gribble here, and they went through the draft process from the time the season ended all the way up to the week of the draft to the day of the draft where he went on a day and in a round that maybe he wasn't expecting to. Take a listen. First off, I'll just ask you, when was the first moment in, in your childhood or life where you thought, I wanted to play in the NFL? Um, early, pretty early on. I remember uh, my brother, when he first started playing football, You know, he was three years older than me, and so I would go out uh, to his practices for those first three years before I could start playing. And that's, that's when I really started to love football and just, just being out at his practices, watching him. And so you know, I was maybe four or five at that point, And I was like, I really like this game. And then I'd be watching it on Sundays and stuff. And so it, it started as early as I can remember that I wanted to be here. What's the latest in, in your life where you maybe doubted that it was a possibility? Was there kind of a, a moment of adversity where you hit, where you're like, maybe this dream isn't going to happen? Or when did that happen? I think it was... Um, you know, probably in high school and, you know, kind of my sophomore year, uh, had a knee injury. My junior year had a knee injury and it both kept me from playing football those years. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm not supposed to play football. And then uh, senior year, I was able to, you know, get through the season. And even at that point, I was still undersized and, you know, had no offers. And, and I was just like, all right, well, maybe I'm just not meant to play this game. I'm just going to, you know, go to school and, and go that route for life. And, but I just couldn't let it go. So I just, you know, kept fighting and, I just couldn't let the dream die. At Nevada, you obviously played a ton of football, but when when was it, when was the time there where you're like, wow, I'm really getting pretty good at this, and and maybe have a future in this? Uh, it, it was it's still kind of tough to think about, um, you know, because like yeah, you know, I started all four years and and obviously played a lot, but like I, I always just kind of self doubt in that, you know, like when I was watching film, I, I'd be just overly critical with myself and. Like, ah, that's not very good. That's not going to cut at the next level. And so it, it was really tough and, you know, kind of late and towards junior year when, you know, there's there's some scouts showing up at practice and all that. And senior year when there was more scouts, I was like, there's still no way. Like, that's the NFL. Like, those are big boys. And like, I'm just some kid. Like, there's no way that could be me. And so it was always like, always that. There was always some doubt with me just because so few kids ever made it out of, you know, the Reno area that I was like, it, it, like there's no way it's me. Like, there's no way this could be me. Was it a significant moment when your teammate Joel Batonio got drafted and, and got drafted as high as he did? That did that maybe make it more encouraging? No, one hundred percent. I remember like watching that draft pretty closely, knowing Joel was going to go high, and just a uh, Joel was really kind of like the first person I knew to to get drafted and to play in the NFL, and so like that kind of made it more of a reality in which. That was the kind of conflicting sides between the. I'm there's no way I belong to where. Okay, wait, this is actually a possibility. I know someone who's done it, and so it was kind of the both sides that I was always dealing with. But like seeing Joel go, that was kind of like, all right, like it is possible. People from Nevada can go, and especially at the offensive line position. Kind of fast forwarding to the later part of your Nevada career, uh, I'm not sure if you had any thought of leaving early was that even a possibility for you or were you always going to be all the way to the end at Nevada I was I was always to the end of it and that's kind of like growing up we'd see people that go early I'm just like you're getting free school like why are you giving this up and so that was always the driving force for me and, and a lot of people like when we got a new head coach going into my senior year they're like well you can just go and I was like no like I'm here for school like I still have some classes to finish like I'm getting school paid for 
there's no way I'm going to give up this free school to to go and for a chance where there's nothing guaranteed at that point and and then even if for some reason I do make it and I'm still haven't finished school so by the time I'm done playing football I still don't have a degree so it was no doubt for me. When in the process at Nevada was maybe your first contact with an NFL scout? I know some teams have kind of those junior days and things like that. When did you first ever meet up with an NFL scout, whether it be from the Browns or anywhere else? Uh, it was probably that junior day. And, I mean, we, I went to the pro days throughout the other time, but I, I wouldn't talk to the scouts, obviously. Um, and so that pro day was kind of like my real first interaction, you know, talking to some scouts. And But even then it was kind of weird because it was like they're not – super focused on the junior day at that point and our junior day was always you know like after like hours after our actual pro day so some of us guys okay like i actually want to get out of here we have other pro days to get to and so it, it was kind of a weird thing but then as you know senior year came in and practices were rolling around and scouts were out there and then that's when i had quick conversations with him here and there i know there's for some quarterbacks they always get feedback and their coaches try to make them more pro ready their senior year was there anything where you heard from teams that maybe tried to make you more pro ready in your last season at Nevada uh, I didn't get much feedback going on and um, I, I really didn't talk to him all that much uh, I, I just I really wanted to focus on my senior year just because it was a brand new head coach and we had so much change going on we brought in 40 new freshmen to the team and so like, there, there was just a lot of chaos already and, and I didn't feel like it would be fair to my team to like, hey, guys, I'm kind of forgetting about you already. I got this other thing going on. And so I really, like, when it came to, like, agents and scouts and everything, I really tried to push that off to, to focus on my senior year. So when things wrap up, what's the what's the first thing you have to do when you're done at, at college and you start out to focus on the NFL? Uh, first thing I did was nothing. Like, I was like, yeah, I need, a, I need a break. Like, I got some finals coming up. I need to study for those. And so really I, I just kind of, like, took a little bit of time off just because you know, the season season's grueling and it's going to be a long year in this, you know, going into that first season. So I kind of just laid low for a little bit, finished my finals, made sure I finished school right and just spent some real good time with family because come January, like that's when I'm back into training for, you know, Senior Bowl, Combine Pro Day and all that. Where did you go to train and, and how did you even arrive on that decision? Yeah, so I, uh, <clears throat> the whole agent process is just another beast in itself and uh, kind of like a little late into my junior year, some agents started reaching out, and then all throughout senior year, they were reaching out to me. And, you know, I'd either just put them off, wouldn't talk to them at all, or just send them a message just saying, hey, thank you for your interest, but I'm focusing on my senior year. I'll reach out to you when the season's over. And so then it, it just came a point of taking phone calls, seeing who I had a good feeling with, had a couple dinners, and it really just came down to who, like, who me and my wife gelled with. And, uh, you know, we ended up with Rep One Sports. and. It's, been, it's just been a great decision being with them. And we, uh, they're down in Irvine, California is where they're stationed at and got a nice setup down there. And so that's where we spent, or I spent all of my, you know, January, February and some of March going through all this. What was maybe some of the stuff that you had to do at that period that you've maybe never had to do since just because you're trying to get prepared for the combine? Yeah, I think it's just, the, the combine is just, you know, it's just a show in itself, right? There's so many drills that have been there for so long that, they might not hold true to the game of football, but everyone's done them, and so it's the best way to compare someone to you know, someone from 20 years ago, right? And so that's why the combine is the way it is. It's a comparison for players now and for a long time ago. And you know what the combine is. You know what drills are going to be done, and so you have to go in there preparing 
am actually practicing those drills. And so I think it's still just kind of the craziest thing for me was just running a 40, just being an offensive lineman. That's, that's not what we do. And so training for that and being with a speed coach, and it's like, I'm not a track. I've never sprinted a, a good distance and do a great form and technique and all that. And so trying to get that done and, and learn that, it's just a crazy thing for an offensive lineman. But I, I enjoyed it and you know, also glad I don't have to do it again. Was that the last time you ran the 40? Uh, yeah. And uh, especially, you know, sprinting like that. Sure, I'll do some striders now, some, some great conditioning work. But, uh, yeah, coming out of three-point stance, full form, trying to look good and yeah, that's, that's it for me. What part of the, I know it was probably early, but when were you notified that left tackle, it wasn't going to be your NFL position? Was that still in college or was, was that maybe once you wrapped things up? Uh, I, was, I was even in college. Um, Brian Pullian was my first head coach in Nevada. You know, I was, he was there for the first four years that I had with him, his four years in Nevada. And he told me my redshirt year. He's like, look, like you're going to be good. And one day, if you want to play NFL, you better learn how to snap. You better learn how to play guard because that's just the nature of it. And so he told me from early on. And so I, that's something I always continually worked and obviously never played it in a game, but always just kind of got reps here and there when I was in Nevada. And that was something all the other coaches I had, they always told me, like, be ready to get moved inside. Like, you've already seen it with Joel. Like, get ready to get moved inside. Were there some teams that were still legitimately interested in just left tackle for you, or was it all? were they all mentioning interior? Yeah, no, it was a good mix. Um, teams like, hey, like, you've already played 50 games at left tackle. You've proved you can do it. There's no reason to move you. Then there's other teams like we think you're going to be best on the right side. We think you're going to be best at center. And so it was a good mix from you know pretty much every team I talked to. And so going through that, knowing that, my agent had a good feel for that as well. And he's like, we're, we're just, just be ready for all five. Just, just don't have any expectations. Just get ready. When was your first contact with the Browns? Um, it was at the Combine. It was met informal with uh, Coach Wiley and Coach Hudson in the uh, train station there and it was about a 10 minute conversation just going over some fronts and just talking a little bit and that was it that was all the contact I had with the Browns and you know they were uh, they aren't my pro day and that was it that was all the talk I had with them and so it was kind of crazy actually that you know, I had so little interaction with them. We're about a week out from the 2019 draft what do you remember doing during this time? Because it seems like everything's kind of wrapped up on the surface. What what were you doing in these days leading up to the draft? Yeah, so you kind of – starting in January, everything goes pretty quickly. You know, you go, you, you finish your season, now you start training, and then you got your all-star, your senior games, and then from there you got another month and the combine's here, and then depending on when your pro day is, and then you get your private workouts and your visits in. And then after that, it, it just kind of goes quiet. And it's dead. You're not really hearing anything. You'll get a phone call every now and then from just some scouts just saying, like, hey, is this your phone number? We just want to make sure we have all your contact information right just to double check, uh, you know, come draft day if, if we do make a decision to choose you. But other than that, it, it's kind of quiet. And so the last week, I remember that, that was probably a, like, one of the more stressful weeks for me just because there was no interaction. There was nothing going on. And it was, you know, you're getting all your friends and all your family. You're like, oh, what's going on? What's going to happen? What's going to? You have no idea, and nobody on draft day knows what's going to happen until it does. Was part of you convinced that you'd heard from so much from one particular team that they were going to draft you, or was there anything like that? Uh, I like mentally, I was like, okay, I, I talked to this team a lot. I, I interacted with this team a lot. Maybe that's that's a sign. But then also, like, I, I had been talking to Joel through the process, and he's like, honestly, like for the Browns, it was the same thing for him. He's like. 
I only talked to him for a couple minutes. Like I had no interaction with him. And then another buddy, uh, Kyle Roberts, who got picked up by the Broncos after you know, from Nevada, and he's like, I didn't talk to the Broncos at all. And it was so it's kind of like the it's a weird mix. And so, I mean, I was like, okay, maybe you know this place seems right. This would be a fit. Uh, okay, not here, not here. And then it, it's just so hard to put it all together. What'd you do day one? Uh, we were, I was at uh, we were just at our we were at a close friend's house that night, with a bunch of family and just really close friends. Um, wasn't expecting round one by any means. If it happened, it happened. Um, so like, that's why we're kind of there, you know. It's like, okay, we're at a friend's house, like just real low key, just watching. Um, nothing crazy. And then uh, day two, we were we were just at my parents' house, and you know, I just had our you know same people, just family and real close friends, and not expecting it to be uh, to happen that quick. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking a lot of times a guy in your position, the 33rd pick, that's someone who's maybe disappointed they didn't go round one. I mean, were you were you in a unique position that you weren't really that down, I guess, going into day two, I guess? Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting round one. Like, I don't want to get expectations high and be let down and, and all that. Um, I mean, like, even going in, you know, coming in when I first met with my agent, he's like, right now you think we can sneak you into the fifth round. And like, all right, that's great. I just want to be drafted. Like, I do not care. Like, starting as a walk-on, like, I just didn't care. I was like, I just want this chance to play in the NFL, right? And so, you know, come day two and, you know, like, we were all showing up at my, my mom and dad's house. And my dad had just left to pick my sister up from softball practice. And, like, people are still kind of rolling in. And my dad's not even home when I got the phone call. I'm just like, oh, this is this is not going to be good, right? And so he, he was able to, and I was on the phone long enough for him just to, you know, park and get inside real quick before they announced it on TV, but disappointed that I wasn't in the first round, not even close. So a lot of people don't know this, but it's kind of a fire drill once you are drafted on kind of the logistics of getting you here. I know you didn't have to do a press conference here. That was one last thing you had to do, but what, what was the mo- maybe the most stressful part of it? Just getting yourself here to, to get ready to go. I, uh, I mean, as soon as I was drafted, you know, kind of had that moment on TV and everything, you know, saying my name and, and then from there, you know, just giving people hugs in the house, you know, and, and talking. And then, uh, you know, I got, a, I got, you know, phone calls are going like crazy. But then, you know, I got a Cleveland area coach showing up. I'm like, yeah, you got to answer this. And then you know, it's radio shows. And I'm already doing interviews, and, and it's crazy. And then it's setting my flights to get out here. It's getting all that information to get out here and make sure they got everything, all the contact information, all my personal information right. And then I was out here in, you know, six days after getting drafted. And so I know for Baker and Denzel, they had to do a press conference, and so they were out right away. I mean, I at least kind of had a week to kind of, you know, calm down, get my mind right, and I'll get a little couple extra workouts in and, and just get ready for rookie minicamp. When did the adrenaline wear off, and when does the exhaustion set in from the entire pre-draft process, kind of the four months of, of nonstop stuff? Uh, I still think probably the week before the draft, it kind of was like, wow, like I've been going for four months now, and like, it's just crazy how much I've done and so like kind of week before the draft it was kind of like okay like I can relax like I've got all like the real hard stuff you know for this crazy process out of the way and and get a you know a couple days to breathe before it it all turns back on again and I think that was kind of how I enjoyed the process a little more was any you know two-day window I had of just to relax I would take advantage of because I knew it was going to be a grueling year. I mean, you go into a, a first full season. Then is it then is it the first real vacation you take? Is the January after your first season? Yeah, absolutely. That was you know we went down to my wife and I went to St. Lucia with JC and his now fiance, and uh, 
and it, we were just kind of, you know, sitting by the beach, and me and my wife were just talking. It was like, can you believe, like, how much we've done from January to January? Like, going from, you know, Irvine to everything that we've done there and down to Mobile, the Senior Bowl, to the Pro Day, the Combine, and all the different games and just the craziness, you know, just moving to Cleveland, which we never thought, you know, in our wildest dreams that we'd be in Cleveland. And then it was just crazy and a surreal moment when we were just in St. Lucia thinking about that. What's the one piece of advice and maybe the one thing that people definitely don't know about the draft process that, that you could share? I, I think just the best advice for like all these all these prospects is to not read anything online because mm-hmm. all these all the different mock drafts that there are thousands of mock drafts that come out none of them are even remotely accurate right like sure people have great ideas and and all that but i mean how many like every quarterback was an option last year right but baker's the one how many people said baker isn't the one how many people just roll him off right away from cleveland and so there's just so much in social media nowadays that how quickly things can get out. Just avoiding that throughout this process, it would be the number one thing because you can, you can get caught up so quickly in the fact that, like, oh, this guy has me as a first-round pick. That means I'm a first-round pick. Like, no. Like, like, what does this guy actually know? Who like? And so I think that's probably the biggest thing. And, and then just getting through the years, just enjoying the minutes of downtime that you get because that, that's going to help you break up the season. That's going to help you get through it and, and not hit those slumps. We want to thank Austin Corbett. What a great interview, Gribbs. Outstanding job by you. And just what a great inside peek. The fact that he went so early that his dad wasn't even home. (laughs) He was thinking he was going to be a mid-round pick, and he ends up being the number one pick in the second round on a Friday night. And just the whole process. It is quite the whirlwind for a rookie coming into the National Football League. You heard it from him. The first really downtime after his college season ended, through the process leading up to the draft, through the 2018 season, was January of the following year. A lot is expected, a lot is asked of these young players as they come out and they get drafted. And a lot is going to be expected of this year's class as well with the expectations so high here in Cleveland. Gribbs, as we take a look at some of the mock drafts, that the heavy hitters are now coming to the table with. Uh, you know, we, we, we've had a lot of great mock drafts out, but now you get the guys that are paid specifically to do one job and one job only, and that's covered the NFL draft. And now they're coming out with their mocks. You have Kuyper and McShay. You have Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports. And, of course, Daniel Jeremiah, the new Mike Mayock over yeah. at NFL Network. Kuyper and McShay went head-to-head in a three-round mock. So, basically – They just rotated picks all the way down through three rounds. So at pick 49, McShay was on the clock, and he chose David Long, defensive back from Michigan. Cleveland's first pick in this draft comes in the middle of round two. It doesn't have huge needs, but injuries have plagued the defensive back core. A physical press corner, Long gives the Browns depth behind Denzel Ward and Terrence Mitchell. Makes sense, and I think it'd be a safe bet not a sure thing bet that one of the two picks on day two will be used on a cornerback. I just think you need more bodies there. I more agree. bodies that you can count on, not just camp bodies. Guys yeah. that you want to compete for roster spots. Yeah. I mean, Dorsey said it today in the press conference. Like, the way the NFL has changed, you can't have enough defensive backs. 
Yeah, and it it worked. It's worked. Last year, the Browns the plan actually worked because we thought at this time last year that the team was almost adding too many defensive backs because you signed three in free agency, and you drafted a, uh, another one with Denzel Ward, and you, you end up using all of them. I mean, Terrence Mitchell goes down week four. EJ Gaines has to step up, but then he has a couple injuries. He had to shuffle some guys around. Uh, you know, TJ Carey was moving from nickel to the outside. He did a commendable job there. So you're gonna all these cornerbacks who make the team. At some point, they're going to have to play man on man on against a team's number one or number two receiver. Yep, exactly. It just gives you that depth that you need. At pick number eighty in the third round, Mel Kuyper's pick, Kari Willis, safety out of Michigan State. The Browns dot 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 are good <laughs> with a question mark. It's a strange sight after years of inept football. Willis could compete for time at strong safety and wreak havoc on special teams. Uh, and there lies the appealing part of Willis's game and some of these other guys that are going to be drafted. We need some guys that can play special teams. We need some good special teams players and yeah. not just guys. Yeah, and it's crazy because, honestly, before we even sat down for this, I, that's not even a name I'd even heard it mentioned <laughs> at safety. I mean, we've kind of talked about a lot of the same guys, sure. but, but maybe we got kind of bottled in with the, oh, you draft a safety in the second round, not the third round. So this is this is going a little deeper. This will probably be, I would imagine, he'd be about the eighth safety off the board maybe because there could be a bunch in the second round. So, I mean, it, it would it, – it, again, it will come down to uh, – this is a, a draft where it might be lip service when a team says they're drafting the best player available no matter what in every round. I think this is where it really does come down to that because I think Dorsey would not be afraid to go any direction in the third round minus quarterback. Yeah. No question. So it be, it's been a lot of defense mocked, but it, it could very well be someone on offense too. All right, taking a look at Ryan Wilson, seven-round mock now out on CBSSports.com. Second-round uh, pick, the Browns' first pick in this draft. We'll go through these quickly. He has DeAndre Baker, defensive back Georgia. Baker was being mocked in first rounds just a month and a half ago. Yeah, he's Thorpe Award winner. And Best now, corner in football. And now you have him going 49. Anyway, this guy really does last to 49. I mean, we'll see because it, it comes down with him. The knock on him is he's made he made a lot of plays, but I guess he doesn't uh, wow you with the athleticism. And I think that's the that, that, that might be something that might not translate in the NFL or it might just be something you don't worry about because some guys just don't perform as well in the, in the combat-like setting. I mean, in terms of accomplished college players, this is about as good as you can get at forty nine. I mean, one of the best, the best cornerback in college football. I th- I would think the Browns would run to the podium, sprint yeah. to the podium to turn in the card for this one. And by comparison, you know, McShay had David Long mocked at forty nine. You have to go all the way down to eighty three to see him get drafted in this draft. So this it shows the variance. I mean, we always might make fun of how mock drafts are way off when you're just doing the first round. They get all over the place when you when you start going day two and day three. All right, in the third round, he has uh, Deontay Thompson, safety out of Alabama at pick number 80. Uh, Thompson, a a rangy free safety who has impressive ball skills but a poor finish to the college season, saw his draft stock slip. I know that uh, you at one time covered the Alabama Crimson I think this guy was committed as a junior in my last season at Alabama. Really? Yeah, I think he was an early commit. Uh, but yeah, that's it, it ages me a little bit. I think I've run out of guys with any connections that I have at Alabama. I will say, the the track record on Alabama DBs is hit miss, mostly hit though. I think a lot of these guys hang around and, and do pretty well. 
someone I, I don't think that maybe they're not similar players at all, but a player, a safety that slipped in the draft that had a so-so Alabama career that's turned out pretty good is Eddie Jackson. And he was a former cornerback turned safety, and now he's he's turned into a pretty good player uh, for the Bears. And uh, so it can be hit or miss with some of these guys at Alabama. They but they learn from the best one of the best defensive coaches, defensive backs coaches out there, and Nick Saban, who truly is hands on. Uh, I wouldn't dis- be disappointed with a guy like Thompson in the third round. I think as as happy as you are with Marius Randall, you need another option there. Would you be surprised if they went secondary with both picks on day two? No, can't have enough. Fair enough. Yep. All right, we go to round four. The Browns taking an offensive tackle at pick number 119 out of Oklahoma, Bobby Evans. Yeah. Would he be the last of the Oklahoma offensive line drafted? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. We could, I, I saw a story today about how they could have four guys drafted by the end of day three, and I, I imagine this is one of those guys. By the end of day two. I mean, they, this is a this was the offensive line that helped keep Kyler Murray clean and ultimately helped keep Baker Mayfield clean during during their time there as well. A great and, offensive line. And I would say this, much like defensive backs, I don't think you can have enough offensive linemen. Yeah. And I think that there are some questions. I, I know Austin Corbett will be the starting guard when camp begins, but, you know, can Corbett hang on to it? Yeah. He's going to be tested. There's a lot of battles on that offensive line worth watching here. This is sort of unrelated, but I'll bring it up anyways because sometimes an offensive line can be – the sum of its parts and be great because of that. Alabama in 2012 had the most elite offensive line in college football. Their NFL prospects did not go so well. You had left tackle Cyrus Quanjo, disappointment. Left guard Chance Warmack, big disappointment. He's Huge. playing, but he was drafted top 10. You want a, a, a Quentin Nelson type if you're using that pick on guard. Barrett Jones, out of football. Right guard Anthony Steen, I think he's still hanging around with the Dolphins. I think he's actually – he was the lowest drafted of those yeah. guys, and he's hung around the longest. So he's been okay. DJ Fluker, dis- disappointment. So uh, just throwing some caution out there with the Oklahoma offensive line. They There could be some good players out there, but when you're part of an elite <laughs> offensive line, sometimes your buddy can make you look a little bit better than you might be. I uh, I got a feeling Joe Thomas did that for a couple players right. on this offensive line in his career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the fifth round, just a couple you know quick ones. Chris Slayton, defensive tackle from Syracuse. Um, Demarcus Lodge, wide receiver from Old Miss. Maybe so the third guy there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And T.J. Edwards, linebacker out of Wisconsin. So. There you go. You get your linebacker in the fifth round. Those three fifth-round picks could all end up being big-time picks for this football team on day three. Yeah, I mean, it's just it turns into depth. And it's funny, I'm just scrolling down here. The saddest pick in the sixth round. Second pick in the sixth round, Bryce Love. Man. Speaking <laughs> of falling. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, he was the Heisman favorite like it yeah. a year ago around this time. And now you're looking at a guy that, that's I sad. mean, Tough. you get to the sixth and seventh round, I think there's a part of you that says, I'd almost rather not be drafted because then I can pick where I want to I, – I can go. Yeah, I think there's some financial reasons that you still want to get drafted in terms of, like, you get some more guaranteed money yeah. probably. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, especially if you're a seventh-round pick on a good team, it's almost better to be a seventh-round pick on a bad team uh, because the easier shot of making the roster. But – uh, seventh round pick for this team, I I I don't 
I don't. I, you you will become just as much of a success story as an undrafted free agent that makes this team. The yeah. odds are are just the same. Defensive back going at pick number one eighty nine for the Browns in the in the sixth round, and then in the seventh round another wide receiver, Penny Hart, out of uh, Georgia State. So that's been. An, he's, I think he's been reported as a visitor here, uh, out there. I I don't know if I laid eyes on him, but he's been. I believe that's been reported that he visited here. So always something to keep in mind. I think that was maybe went into the line of thinking with that one that if a guy's visiting, there's a chance they they might end up getting drafted. All right, so that's Ryan Wilson's seven-round mock on CBSSports.com. And Daniel Jeremiah, uh, NFL Network, his latest mock out this week, and I'm sure he will have another one leading up. But, you know, again, you got Murray one, you got Bosa two. He does have Ed Oliver going three to the Jets. So Oliver stock now on the rebound. And boy, I mean, if you could track this guy through his career and what or his pre-draft process, I mean, a guy that was high high of highs to middle to low late first round and now coming back up the board and now, you know, they're saying he's a top 5 pick. Uh, just interesting to watch how the process plays out. So he was on a conference call on Thursday and was asked about the Ed Oliver pick at number three. This interesting answer from him. This is where it goes with what what he hears and what he sees with his eyes. So he was asked about mocking Ed Oliver to the Jets instead of Quinton Williams. And the quote is, if the question is, what would I do? I would take Quinton, Quinton Williams and I wouldn't turn back. So that pick is based on intel, not on what he would do. Which is which is very interesting. Yeah, wow. So we'll hmm. see. Maybe it's a. I was going to say. I mean, maybe because is it because the Jets already have Leonard Williams, and him and Quinn Williams would be pretty similar. They have a quota on number of Williamses on their team. They added Greg Williams, Leonard Williams. Yeah, so would want to confuse some people. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's where he starts. These kind of drafts are where he's making picks based on what he hears, not just on what he sees. He's got Daniel Jones at six to the Giants. Again, I don't know why I, we continue to see him ahead of Haskins. There's got to be some legitimate buzz with this guy. He's hanging around a lot. Yeah. You've said it all along. I mean, is it just because of his coach? Yeah. And you he, know? He's putting it out there that this guy's legit. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, now we're seeing him a lot more at 11 to the Bengals. Wow. Do you really think the Bengals will take a quarterback that high in the first round? I mean, they. I mean that they could then cut if they wanted to cut Dalton tomorrow. There's no dead money this year or next. Could they trade him though? Is there any value? I mean, couldn't couldn't Dalton? I would think he would. Couldn't fetch Dalton something. upgrade some teams' quarterback situation? I mean, he's definitely not There's the worst quarterback in the league. No. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'll stick with I'll believe it when I see it with the, with the Bengals and drafting a quarterback like that. Oh, yeah, I still think one of the linebackers. Yeah, one of the two backers goes. Uh, just a few other – again, the biggest takeaways for me, uh, he's got Jeffrey Simmons to the Seahawks at 21. Yeah. And that, w- that would make a little sense, especially with who's – the name escapes me, the gentleman they just franchised. Oh, Frank Clark. You know, maybe that's – Yeah. Hey, you're right. You'll be here for one year, and then hopefully Simmons is back and ready to go, and yeah, thank and they, you. And they drafted Frank Clark with similar questionable issues in college as well. Yeah. So – uh, the only wide receiver going in round one, Mark, uh, Marquise Brown to Philly at 25. D- Jeremiah's come a long way on DK Metcalf, has he not? 
because he was, I think, in some early ones, was in a top 10 pick. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's he's got one wide receiver. That's the thing that I think that surprises me the most. Yeah, and we'd be going nuts about it had we not made the Odell trade. <laughs> yeah. The, the, we, it would be lining up that the Browns could potentially draft the best, the player they view as the best wide receiver in the draft. So he's got a number of defensive backs. Now he's got Rakia Sin going to the Chargers at 28. Thought yeah. that was a little bit of a surprise because that's a guy that uh, didn't see much of in the first round, more second round or day two. And now all of a sudden he's working his way into the I read back today the that round. teams are starting to love his background as a championship wrestler. They like that about him. So we'll see. He's, he's, he's had a weird road to, to where he is now. I think he started off at Pres- Presbyterian College, might, might be the, the school, before moving on to Temple. So he, he's definitely a riser, and he's been someone that's been talked about all the way back to the Senior Bowl. And he does have four quarterbacks going. Drew Lockett, number 30, to uh, the Green Bay Packers as the heir to Aaron Rodgers. Think that Believe it when cause... I see it. Believe yeah. it when I see it. I just – I can't imagine that's going to be the case. Yeah. So, those are some of the big mocks that are out one week from uh, the NFL draft. And we look forward to the next week bringing you the final episode of the best podcast available. Gribs, appreciate your time as always. No problem. And we look forward to talking with you next week. This has been Episode 10 of the best podcast available. <laughs>